Okay, let's go ahead and get started. I'm Rhonda Elizabeth. And I'm Aaron Stallworth, and you are listening to The Dap Project. Sky, you were one of our first guests on The Dap Project. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Now, you're an avid cyclist. Let's get right into it. Have been since you were young. I know this because I'm your sister, and I was there. Saw all of it. But recently, you took your passion for cycling to a whole new leave 2020 behind. We're on some new thing here in 2021. God is going to make a new thing out of you. And you're here to tell us about it. So thank you for coming back. And there are many ways to travel across the country and many ways to support a cause. Why did you say yes? I will ride my bike across America to support children with developmental disabilities. Well, I think the first reason is that I was asked to do so. Um, I've been supporting this charity over the last couple of years, I guess since uh, 2017, um, during these rides from Houston to New Orleans. It's called the Tour de Rouge, and it goes from Um, Houston to New Orleans in six days. It's roughly 530 miles. So I had been doing that each year. And some of the guys who I was riding with said, hey, let's do something bigger for the ARC. Um, And this was in 2019. It was right after we did that Tour de Rouge. And uh, they said, would you like to join our team? We're going to do Race Across America. And at that point, I was like, what is that? But it sounds really good. Um, and so we started researching what it was and putting together, um, who our team would be. And, uh, it sounded really exciting. And since I was a kid, I'd always wanted to ride my bike across the country. Never did I think it would be a race. And in in, in this case, the world's toughest bike race, but it was with some, some really committed people who I trusted and who I wanted to align myself with. I never knew that you always wanted to ride your bike across the country, but that doesn't surprise me at all because you were always riding your bike everywhere. So riding across the country is is not surprising. A challenge like this requires time to train. You're a professional in the oil industry, a father, a fiance. You have multiple side gigs to make it all work. So can you describe your training regimen and your schedule to prepare? Okay. I normally work between nine to 12 hours a day with different, different opportunities there. So I would do, I'd work on my bike training on the balcony using trainer, stationary trainer and Zwift. And I would get that in at any time I could throughout the winter, the summer and so forth. I would do core here in my apartment, plank challenges, ab workouts. I had lots of people who were kind of encouraging me to, to do this, to stay fit. So throughout all of 2020, I found different ways to, to get the training in. Um, I did follow a program on Zwift, which is an online platform for cyclists and also runners. Several of those, like uh, a nine-week program and a 12-week program to kind of get your body ready for um, either the, the cycling train, the, the racing season, um, or the off season. So I use the combination of those to uh, get myself ready for a ram. And I also did some on-road work with a cup with a cycling club, uh, Major Taylor Houston, shout out to you guys. So I learned a lot from them 
Um, some of them are triathletes and long distance riders. So working with them was really helpful too. Uh, I also did some trials um, here in Houston where I would go through the, the shifts and the pulls that we designed for that we we're going to implement in RAM, such as like an eight hour um, shift. And I would take I don't know, one hour on the bike and then rest for half an hour and then do another hour on the bike. And I would go around this loop at, uh, at a local park. I did that a couple of times. There are a few things in my strategy to try to fit it all in, but believe me, I was riding while tired <laughs> a lot. <laughs> About how many hours per day would you say that you trained? On the average day, I probably trained about two hours um, for the average day. But on those times when I'm doing a simulation, it would be like eight hours or 10 hours. Now, also, um, my weekend side hustle was pulling this bike trailer uh, that had a banner on it, which would advertise for an apartment. And so that was about five to seven hours. So that job actually allowed me to earn money while also doubling as some bike training. So I'm pulling this 30 pound trailer. So that was kind of a godsend that came um, towards the end of last year. And I, I still do that today, but um, that was good, good work for um, also for all weather training because I did that throughout the winters uh, and, and throughout the, the hot months too. So you are in pretty good shape right about yeah. now. I saw that evolution over time. I think the word is damn good shape. <laughs> yeah, so you're in damn good shape at that. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit. We hear that the training took several months to complete. And so when you have this team, there were four of you who were riding total, and then you had a crew. So who all was? There were three other cyclists besides myself. We had uh, Patrick from Baltimore. Um, we were supposed to have a gentleman by the name of David Anthony, but he was in an accident four days before the, uh, before the race was to mm. start. Oh, um, this, this came out of nowhere. He had been with us the whole time and then he gets there early and he's just doing a regular training ride in California on a bike trail. And uh, someone on an e-bike brushes past him while they are taking a selfie and knocks him off his bike. Wow. And um, he, he was pretty injured by that. Um, mm -hmm. He got, Four ribs, I think, were broken, and then wow. there was some injury to his pelvis. So oh he was watching the race from the hospital bed oh, in California. Man. But we had Patrick and actually his protege, who's a 16-year-old Category 4 racer from Brooklyn. He came in, and he stood in Davis Place and rode oh, with nice. us across the country. And he was actually the youngest rider to do RAM this year. He's not the youngest to do Ram ever, but for this year, he was the youngest rider. Giorgio Valente is his name. So it was him. And then there was another gentleman that's based here in the Houston area, Bill. So those are four riders. And then uh, we had about, I think it was nine support crew. We had our crew chief. Uh, and then we had several navigators and several people uh, that were uh, drivers and some support people. That's, that's, that's the whole team. That's team possibilities. Yeah. So was so, everybody in a camper? Like where were folks, what was the sleeping arrangement? Like where were folks sleeping? Okay. Okay. So this is where it got a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> we did have one RV and the RV served as like our base. And um, then we had 
uh, folks that were based in two vehicles, right? These are called follow vehicles, right? So we had uh, one, two, three people in each follow vehicle that would go behind the cyclists while they were uh, while they were riding. And then when we were not riding, we were going towards a hotel where we would take our off shift. So eight hours riding and then eight hours you're off where you can recover and eat and do whatever you need to do. Okay, um, we would go to a hotel um, for our off shift and the RV was normally there. And so you had about three people that were stationed in the RV and they had to coordinate with the hotel where we we're going to be. They're coordinating with the follow vehicles. All the logistics is happening there. Um, we had a massage therapist um, who came along with us and she gave folks massages and tried to take care of our, our body's well-being and so forth. She also um, double had it with some cooking responsibilities. Um, and as, as time went on, we got better with doing some things, but sleep fatigue crept in pretty hard. And there were times, a lot of times when uh, people called me hangry. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got kind of short and snappy. <laughs> I can relate to that. I mean, it's not because I'm riding across the country, but I can, I can still relate. <laughs> yeah, I um, probably got somewhere between two to three hours of sleep max a day. Wow, wow. Yeah, and so that's over sometimes two rest periods, but you just might not have been able to rest at that point because sometimes the place where you would switch over um, when let, like, let's say we have two people who are riding at one time, and then they switch over with another two people who are going to continue riding for another eight hours. At that meet over point, um, it could be two or three hours away from where the hotel is going to be for the next meetup place. Man. So the logistics were insane. So it's a popular quote that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, or in your case, the first pedal. You started in California. Any words of encouragement you gave yourself before you took that first pedal? I thought about all the people that had supported me, not only in Race Across America, but for the other fundraising events that I've done, like Tour de Rouge, and also for the Avon 39, where I walked 39 miles for the Avon, uh, Avon charity, breast, that's for uh, breast cancer, right? And um, I thought about all those donations, all the words of encouragement, my daughter, I thought about all that stuff. I even thought about um, the times when my older brother, Stephen Paul, would take me out to, uh, to Rock Creek Park on the bike, to the zoo. And he, he kind of got me off of the block and said, you can go further, you know? But it was, it was his kind of leadership and encouragement that helped me to, to do that, to take those steps. And um, yeah, all of that was kind of going through my mind. I did a meditation the day before the start day on the back porch of our Airbnb. And it was, it was just so powerful. Just mm -hmm. thinking of my journey from where I started to where I am and thought, wow, my God, this cycling thing can really take you far if you let it. So it's been kind of a leap of faith. It's, it felt like there was never a right time to do Ram because there's so much going on. I missed Father's Day um, that weekend. Um, I had other commitments that I needed to do at work, but a way was made. Sacrifices were made by others so that I could do this. Shout out to, to my parents 
um, for, for helping me financially with this. RAM is a very financially intensive endeavor. Um, so I'm really grateful for all the people that helped me take those steps, that pedal to go across the country. For those of us who wake up in the morning, drink our coffee, walk to the home office or hop on the subway or drive to our work site, it's kind of hard to imagine a typical day. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like waking up in the morning or were you even biking overnight or did you always sleep in the night? Take us a little bit into what that was like. Okay, specifically in RAM? Yeah, during this race over the nine days. Okay, okay, okay. So with RAM, it's different than like Tour de France where Tour de France is a stage race. And you start off at the beginning of the day, you do your race, and then you come home to the hotel. And it's, it's based on a 24-hour clock, so to speak, right? About when you would start when things end. RAM goes from the start time to the end at the finish line. Okay, mm-hmm. So you have to figure it out in between. Um, so the normal day, we actually just break it up into eight-hour shifts um, because the timing would start at different times during the day as far as when we ride. So we started riding at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, okay? And then we finished um, uh, our eight-hour shift, and then it's time for the next person to pick up, okay? So it was difficult sometimes to go to sleep because we might be going to sleep at two in the afternoon, or we might be waking up at, I don't know, 10 a.m., or 10, 10 p.m., okay? So it was really tough to really get attached to a particular rhythm because your body, I mean, it's worse than jet lag, to be honest. But then there's the adrenaline of the race that helps you mm-hmm. kind of fight through that, you know? And some of the, the, there's some things like being inspired by your teammates, overcoming something difficult that like gets you fired up. You know, I remember being in the truck and watching my teammate Patrick pedal up this really steep hill in Colorado. And at some point, um, it was it was close to where he was going to make the summit. He had been riding for a while, more than his allotted hour, but he wanted to get across the summit and he wanted to descend. And when I saw him getting close and he was slowing down just a little bit. I just felt like I needed to get out of the car. The car was still moving and I jumped out the car and I'm like running behind him and I'm clapping, clapping, clapping. Come on, man, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You know, and I'm running in my cleats and, you know, he's probably wondering what the hell's going on. (laughs) But I just felt so inspired by his initiative, his drive to finish um, and to get over top of this mountain in the middle of the freaking night, you know? sleep deprived as he was, but he was just so committed to the goal that I was like, man, I need to do whatever I can. I just wanted to be with him. And then when he got over top of it, he started sailing down the other side and I jumped back in the car. I was like, man, this is an amazing thing to be a part of, to see the human spirit in, in motion like this. And getting ready for Ram, you, you know, watch videos, read books, listen to podcasts, all this stuff to kind of psych your mind up. 
get into the mindset of an ultra athlete that's you know going to do some amazing things and but then to really witness it 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 charges you back up so you have moments when you're like on these highs and your energy comes back out of nowhere and then there are moments when you're low (laughs) and you can't keep your eyes open you know um so it's it was, it was, and you try to manage that with food. You try to manage that by, you know, music or something to kind of like pep you up, talk to somebody. But um, it, it was difficult. I'll say this: it's difficult, probably fifty percent of the time, to to manage the sleep deprivation after about five or six days. You know, and then you start becoming a little bit numb. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's beautiful how you were motivating Patrick. I bet that was one of his moments of struggle, even though I'm sure the adrenaline was was going to get him over that hill regardless of uh, of uh, mm-hmm. whatever obstacles he had. What was one of the main moments of struggle for you personally uh, during the race? There was a time when we were going through Kansas and it was late at night uh, and there's a very narrow shoulder that you had to ride on and there are cars even though it was late at night, there was still some traffic that was going past you. But the crosswinds um, coming, I don't know if it's coming from the south, blowing towards the north, but the crosswinds are pushing you constantly over towards the traffic, you know? And if you try to veer too much to the right, there's a chance that you might go off this little shoulder that you're on down into some rocks, okay? And with these crosswinds, it's hot dust that's being blown at your face. And so my nose and my eyes were just constantly running. You know, every time I would go out there and I'm going out there for um, four shifts, right? Each of an hour long, I'm knowing that my nose and my eyes are gonna just be just, you know, filled with dust and stuff like that, farm dust. And, and you're just so nervous that your bike is gonna like go from underneath of you or you're gonna be blown over or whatever the case may be, or a car might, you know, um, like swerve around you because we did have that happen too, where cars were upset that we had another vehicle behind us. We had the follow vehicle behind us and they're going slow and the speed limit may be 50 or 60 miles an hour. And there may be a bunch of cars that are backed up behind us, you know? So um, people would like fly around us. One guy got really close to me as he, you know, swerved around me. So there's that, there's this danger that's in your mind and combined with the fatigue and the kind of like, you know, the, I guess the biological needs of, of like your nose running and your eye running and stuff like that, that wore out on me um, probably after my second shift and my energy level just tanked. It's, it's the middle of the morning, like 1 a.m. And I just thought, ah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this, but um, I just fought through it, you know, mm-hmm. just, just fought through it. And luckily it was flat. So that was probably the only saving grace. So it didn't require a lot of energy to keep going. But I did think about the times when I uh, had done ultra marathons and my feet ached. And um, there were other things that would just really bother me. And I thought, you know what? All of my muscles work. I'm not feeling pain. It's just irritation. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it is the mental irritation and I can get through this. So that's, that's, that's kind of what I... My, my thought process was if something is not like really hurting or broken, I can get through it.
And you've always been a really optimistic person. And between the two of us, you're the optimist and I'm the realist. You're like, oh, Rhonda is not that bad. And I'm like, Sky, this sucks. Like it's snowing, I'm cold. You're like, it's beautiful. No. Okay. Not 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 pessimist, but realist. You know. Realist, so, yes. Right. But Sky yeah. would call it pessimist. Optimism we, is real too. We've been complimentary. Let's put it that way. So you mentioned Colorado. You mentioned Kansas. After nine grueling days. Maybe there was some beauty in there too. I think there was some beauty in there. You proudly ride into Annapolis, Maryland, where our family is waiting for you, including our mom. Now in yeah. our family group chat, you said you were determined to get that hug from mom. Yes. What did hugging mom mean to you at that moment? It, it meant making her proud. It meant keeping the promise. It meant just feeling the love from your mom as a son, you know? Um, when you set out to do something and she tells you, yes, you can do it, you know, the, the setup for this was two years long, you know, because last year Race Across America was canceled due to COVID. So it had been months of me talking with mom, talking with you guys about this crazy thing that I'm going to do. And mom never once said, you can't do this. Mom never once said, no, you shouldn't do this, or it's just not possible. She always said, if you really want to do it, son, I believe that you can do it. And um, doing that, um, almost like doing that for her, in, in a sense, you know, just to, to prove that she was right, and that her belief in me was founded, you know, I wanted yeah. to do that. I wanted to bring that to her and to honor her um, as my mom by crossing that finish line, coming hell or high water, I was gonna do that. And, and just honoring our whole family um, by doing what I set out to do. Yeah, it's nothing like an affirming and congratulatory hug for mom. So I feel you on that. But as a debt project, over those nine days, we absolutely have to ask, was there any memorable debt exchanged over that time? Memorable death. Uh, maybe actually, in Kansas, maybe in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there was a fist bump that was recorded. Um, I believe it was a fist bump uh, that was recorded. Variation. When I was through Colorado, I had met a traveler who ironically had come from D.C. Um, and he was on the Trans-American route. Um, he had just... Uh, I think he had retired, and that was kind of his gift to himself to take this um, Trans-American bike ride. He was going from D.C. to Oregon. He had left out mm -hmm. with, I think, 10 other riders, um, and we started to see a few of them after we met him. But um, we, we saw, and it was actually because of a flat that I, that I ended up there um, to actually see him kind of cross our path. It was really cool. Um, so... You know, one of my uh, one of my uh, teammates went over to him and just started having a conversation. I said, wait a minute, his bike. Wait a minute. He's got a surly just like me. So I went over there to him and just started talking with him. And then we closed it out uh, with a nice with a nice fist bump. I just wanted to be respectful of, you know, people's position on COVID and stuff like that. You know, yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah, indeed. 
um, there was that. And then there was probably a really nice, uh, nice exchange of that when we got to the summit of, uh, of Wolf, Wolf's Pass. That's right by the Continental Divide. Um, I summited that uh, on the bike and Patrick came out and he gave me a nice, nice, nice bit of dap and a little bro hug on bro the end hug. of that. There we go. Yes, there we go. Yes, that was super cool. Seems like at the end of the race, you would work up quite an appetite having biked across 12 states cleared all these summits, braved those scary roads in Kansas with all the dust and the dirt and the mites and these two hour uh, sleeping arrangements that you had. So what was your first meal after the race? And did you have um, a chance to shower before you sat down at eight? Take us yes. into that moment. Just give us some of those details. We're wondering. Yeah, yeah. so after we crossed the finish line, um, our team captain, Patrick, had organized a nice dinner, a nice celebratory dinner at a local pub. Uh, it was an Irish pub in downtown Annapolis. So I was able, we were all able to get to a hotel and then kind of shower up and clean up. And then um, I drove, uh, drove there with Emmanuel, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, who came along as well, Kirsty's brother. Um, and we drove over there and then we had a nice seafood dinner. Um, I think it was some all catfish, some fried local, fish, some local caught dinner. As a matter of fact, I had a crab cake sandwich. Oh, yeah, a Maryland crab cake with a little hot <laughs> a sauce. A Maryland crab cake sandwich. Yeah, that was a little sprinkle of Old Bay. It was, oh. it was proper. It was Goodness. proper. Good so we you. probably had like, I don't know, 25, yeah, like 25 people there. Um, spread across a couple tables. Um, lots of family members came out. It, it was a pretty beautiful experience, you know, and after eating, you know, um, whatever we could eat during the, during the race from gas stations and McDonald's and other places, having a nice meal like this was, was everything. It was really nice. And then after that, um, you know, we said goodbye to everybody, and then Manuel, myself, um, and uh, Bill's son, we just hopped in the car and drove all the way down to Houston from there. What about yourself do you know now that is different from, than who you were before kind of this journey began? I know for a fact, not intellectually like something that you hear or something that you read or something that people tell you i know for a fact that we are capable of so much more than what we give ourselves credit for i know that it's possible that you can plan out something which seems absolutely insane something that seems way beyond your abilities you can plan that out and you can make that happen i know that it can be done if you have the right team, if you have enough time, if you have the passion and the drive to do it. I know that there's another person inside who awaits to come out and, and kind of do that. You know, there is another yeah. person inside who can do that. It just takes that kind of training and that dedication. I think that's, that's really what it is, the passion and then the dedication to getting the work done, to making the preparation done. It's, it's, been, it's been a really inspiring journey. And 
after you do something like this, you think, what else could I do? You know, could I do it better? Mm-hmm. You know, could I do something completely different? And then how can you apply what you learn through that journey throughout the rest of your life, you know, through another area in your life where you feel like you've got an incredible hurdle or obstacle to overcome? How can you apply, you know, in my case, how can I apply the Ram spirit to different parts of my life, to relationships? So mm-hmm. there's that, there's that part of my psyche, that part of my brain that I feel like I can access and say, all right, I need that for this. You know, I really need to dig in for this and make this happen. So I feel like that's one of the gifts of doing something very difficult is you realize you have this power that you can apply towards other things. Well, congratulations on your journey. We are so proud of you. I am so proud of you as your little sister um, for this incredible journey, for your training, for your whole cycling experience and uh, dedication through the years and through this particular, this challenge of Race Across America. I do want to get in there that you do know how to repair bikes, you know how to teach people how to ride bikes, and you know how to now train people to race across America. Where can people find you on the socials if they would like to talk with you about cycling and taking on these big challenges? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Sky Shadow. I think I'm the only one there spelled S-K-A-I Shadow. (laughs) And also on Facebook at Sky Shadow as well. Well, thanks for coming back to talk with us about this incredible story of resilience and determination. Have you been back on your bike since? Since you, uh, I have. you got back, you started riding over again. Well, maybe we'll see you racing across North America to South America, <laughs> from Canada to the tip of Peru, the southern tip of Peru. Maybe that's on your journey as well. Hey, the continental divide sounds great. Oh, I dig it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Canada to Mexico. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it a true again. pleasure. Great to see you uh, in person outside of uh, social media. Well, see you in, in Zoom world, see you live via yeah, Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> right, it is in Zoom world, real world. Yeah, yeah. On for, the, the, for the past several months, yes. It is what is world? world, what is time? Resistance is a highway with many lanes, and we hope you find yours. Take care, folks.